Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. The weekend is upon us, and Walters is a great spot to gather for brunch. From chicken and waffles to Walters breakfast tacos, Walters menu has something for everyone. On top of that, for only $20, enjoy bottomless drinks, including mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and old-time lagers. Walk on over to Walters for Game 2 of the NBA Finals. Tip at 8 p.m. on Sunday night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Alley into the full windup and the pitch. Soto hits it to center field. Senzel going back. Still going back. He's on the warning track. He looks up and it is long gone. It hit the wall of the batter's eye in dead center field. Breaking ball. Swung on. Hit in the air to deep left field. Back goes Hernandez. Way back. Going, going, and gone. Goodbye. A grand slam home run for Albert Almora Jr. Cincinnati 7 and Washington 3. Diaz looks at it. Delivers the 1-1. Soto hits it deep. He hits it high. And he hits it out of here. Second gigantic blast for Juan Soto today. 8-7 Nats. They were down 7-3. Five unanswered runs. Here's the pitch. Swing and a ground ball. Base hit into right field. Bell scores from third. Franco around third coming home. A single to right. And two runs batted in for Luis Garcia. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, June 5th, 2022. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of Nats Chat. So we, Monday through Thursday, had that hideous four-game Nats losing streak during which the Nats were outscored 36-6. Yes, outscored by 30 runs. Uh, But we now have back-to-back wins for the Nats, and the Nats over those back-to-back wins have totaled 18 runs. Uh, Friday night, an 8-5 win at the Cincinnati Reds, and Saturday, a wild back-and-forth 10-8 win at the Reds in Game 3 of a four-game series between, yes, the two worst teams in the National League. But the Nats now have the second-worst record in the National League at 20-35. and The Reds now have the worst record in the NL at 18 and 34. Saturday's game was a marathon. If you stayed with it, you earned your gold star as a Nats fan. The game ended up lasting for three hours, 44 minutes, but the game ended up being a very entertaining 
Nats win. Not an easy win, but an entertaining Nats victory. I tell you, Great American Ballpark is doing wonders for the Nats offense. The Nats on Saturday, 10 runs, 16 hits, 4 walks, 7 for 12 with runners in scoring position. And the Nats rallied. They rallied big time. We have not seen a lot of that so far this season. We saw it on Saturday. The Nats came back to win. The boys battled, as Davey Martinez likes to say. Uh, The Nats in this game overcame a 7-3, seventh inning deficit. The Nats scored seven runs over the final three innings. In fact, Davey, during his postgame session with reporters on Saturday evening, said that the boys battled and said that he was proud of the boys. Take a listen. I think these guys battled back. We fell behind. Tough break for Williams. You know, just couldn't find the strike zone. Uh, but the boys battled back. We had good at bats late in the game, and um, you know, Soto comes through with a, you know a big home run, and then uh, the at bats got got better, and uh, moved the ball, put the ball in play. You know, I mean, we'll score some runs when our when our big guys start you know hitting the ball like they did today. And uh, but it was good. I was proud of the boys. I mean, like I said, these guys don't quit. They play hard uh, to the last out, and you saw that today. There you go, vintage Davey Martinez, right there. So many heroes for the Nats in this game on Saturday, but guess who homered not once but twice on Saturday? Juan Soto. Yes, the same Juan Soto who through Thursday had seen his OPS for the season plummet to 792, but Soto on Friday night went one for four with a solo homer and a walk, and Soto on Saturday as an ad starting right fielder and number three batter went two for four with two home runs, a solo homer and a three-run homer. He did strike out twice, but Soto in a Nats three-run fourth, a leadoff homer to center field to cut the Nats deficit to 2-1. The homer went a projected 423 feet per stat cast. And then Soto in a Nats three-run seventh smashed a one-out three-run homer to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 7-6. The homer went a projected 419 feet per stat cast. So note, the Soto homers, while they happened in the bandbox that is Great American Ballpark, were not functions of Great American Ballpark. These were legitimate big boy home runs, just like his home run on Friday night. Uh, Soto on Friday night in an Nats four-run third had a one-out solo homer to right center field. Uh, the homer was an Nats third homer of the inning, and the homer per stat cast would have projected 400 feet and had an exit velocity of 110.3 miles per hour. So Soto over these last two games has looked like, yes, Juan Soto. Great to see Soto hit as he has hit over these last two games. Here was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Saturday evening on Juan Soto. Yeah, he stayed on the ball, you know, and that's him, you know, not trying to pull the ball. We talked about that, just staying on the ball, staying in the middle of the field. Um, today, he got two balls up in the zone, and he drove them both, you know, one, one in the center field and one in the right center. So that's just who he is. I mean, like I said before, I don't really worry about him. You know, he has a good game plan every day. He does his routine every day. Um, he, for me, you know, as I talked to him, I said, you know, don't chase, get in the strikes, you know, get the ball in the strike zone. And uh, and if you get a ball, even early in the count, you think you hit it, go ahead and swing. So Juan Soto on Saturday was one of five Nats who each had at least two hits in the game. Three Nats each had three hits, including Luis Garcia. Garcia had not been doing so well since the Nats this past Wednesday morning recalled him from AAA Rochester, but Garcia on Saturday did do well. He was a Nats starting shortstop and number nine batter, three for four with an RBI double, a two-run single, another single, and an RBI sack fly. Garcia in the top of the third had a one-out single to center field. Garcia in the Nats' three-run fourth had a two-out RBI sack fly 
for a 3-2 Nats lead. Garcia in a Nats one-run eighth had a one-out RBI double to right field to tie the game at seven, a huge hit in the game. And Garcia in the Nats three-run ninth had a two-out, two-run single through the right side of the infield for a 10-7 Nats lead. Michael Franco. How about Mikey Franco? He on Saturday as an at starting third baseman and number eight batter, three for five with two RBI singles and another single. Franco in the Nats three run fourth, a one out bases loaded first pitch RBI single to left field to tie the game at two. Franco in the Nats one run eighth, a one out single to center field on a one two pitch. Franco in the Nats three run ninth with runners at the corners, a two out RBI single to left center field for an eight seven. Nats lead. I mentioned the Nats on Saturday going a terrific 7-for-12 with runners in scoring position. Franco obviously was a big part of that with what he did in the three-run fourth, the one-out bases loaded first pitch RBI single, and with what he did in the three-run ninth with runners at the corners, the two-out RBI single. Here now is your Michael Franco slash line with runners in scoring position this season. You know, we've talked about Franco having done well with runners in scoring position this season, but take a listen to these numbers. Michael Franco this season with runners in scoring position, batting average of 340, on base percentage of 351, slugging percentage of 509. Those are excellent numbers for a player with runners in scoring position. His overall numbers this season aren't great. They're not terrible, but they're not great But those numbers are great. I mean, Michael Franco quantifiably has been clutch for the Nats so far this season. And as we start to really think about, okay, who is a true trade piece for the Nats with that August 2nd MLB trade deadline now less than two months away here? You know, I don't know if Michael Franco is someone who has real legitimate trade value. You know, like it's hard to mount the horse of, yeah, the Nats could get something of true value for Michael Franco. But I apply now to every potential Nats trade ship what I call the John Lester rule, which is if Mike Rizzo could get something back for John Lester as Rizzo did last summer in Lane Thomas, then you never dismiss anyone entirely as a potential trade ship. And if Michael Franco hits well and continues to do well with runners in scoring position, maybe you can get something for him come the trade deadline. I mean, not going to get some premium prospect, obviously, but you know there is something to what he has been able to do so far this season with runners in scoring position. And you know, like I said, overall offensively, it's not like he's been woeful. He just hasn't been that good. Uh, But he's been really good with runners in scoring position. And he was clutch again for the Nats in this win on Saturday. The third Nat on Saturday who had three hits was Nelson Cruz. Uh, In fact, Cruz got on base four times in this game. He was a Nat starting DH and number four batter, three for four with three singles and a walk. Would you believe that Nelson Cruz, yes, big burly Nelson Cruz in his age 41 season, had an infield single for a second consecutive game. I could not get over this. Uh, Cruz in that Nats three-run fourth, a first-pitch infield single on a tapper toward third base. I mean, I don't know why this has happened for Cruz in each of the last two games now, but it has. Uh, Nelson Cruz on Friday night in an ads two-run seventh had a one-out infield single on a slow dribbler to the left side of the infield. Uh, But also for Cruz on Saturday, top of the fifth, a two-out opposite field single to right center field. Top of the seventh, a one-out four-pitch walk. And Cruz in an ads three-run ninth, a leadoff opposite field single through the right side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch. You tell me, does any Nats player go the opposite way more these days than Nelson Cruz? It feels like so many of his hits are to the opposite field. And, you know, that's usually the mark of a professional hitter. And Nelson Cruz is that with what he has done in his major league career.
Another standout for the Nats on Saturday was Lane Thomas. So Thomas, of course, on Friday night was the star for the Nats. Three home runs, or at least a star for the Nats, because he had multiple stars for the Nats in that game. But Lane Thomas off the three-homer night on Friday night was good again on Saturday. Now, he didn't hit three home runs, but he was productive. Uh, He was, in fact, the Nats' starting center fielder in this game and the Nats' number two batter in the game. As uh, for the first time in a while, Caber Ruiz was the starting catcher, but was not the number two batter. Uh, Lane Thomas was the number two batter. He went two for four, had two singles and a walk, and he made a nice defensive play. Uh, Thomas in the top of the third, a two-out single to left field. Thomas in the Nats, three-run seventh, a one-out first-pitch single to left field. Thomas in the top of the eighth, drew a two-out four-pitch walk. And Thomas made a nice sliding catch of a Tyler Stevenson flyout in shallow right center field for the second out in the bottom of the seventh inning. The biggest nit to pick with the Nats offense on Saturday, and there really wasn't much to complain about. I mean, Yadiel Hernandez struck out four times, okay, uh, but he also had a hit. But I think the biggest nit to pick would be this. The Nats, again this season, had a runner thrown out at home. Here it comes. Hit on the left side and through for a base hit. Hernandez around third, being waved in by Gary DeSarcina. The throw from Pham to the plate is in time, and he's out at the plate. It feels like this has happened way too much this season. Happened again on Saturday. So, Cesar Hernandez on Saturday as an ad starting second baseman, a number one batter, one for five with a double and a walk. He left five men on base, uh, and Cesar in the top of the third reached base via a one-out force out, but he then was thrown out at home for the third out on a two-out single to left field by Lane Thomas. Uh, Cesar was trying to score from second base, and he ended up being thrown out by quite a bit by the Reds' left fielder, Tommy Famine. You know, we have said some version of that quite a bit this season with Nats players being thrown out at home plates. The guy got thrown out by a mile, you know, or the guy got thrown out by quite a bit, and this happened again here on Saturday. But I do want to give Cesar Hernandez credit for this. He had a big double in that Nats three-run seventh inning. This was a one-out full count double to right field. The double concluded a 10-pitch plate appearance. That was some at-bad by Cesar Hernandez. Diaz into the wind and fires, and Hernandez hits a line drive hard to right field. Going back to right fielder, Al Mora Jr. reaches up, and he drops it. It's off the wall. It was in his glove and came out and hit the wall and comes back to him, and Cesar Hernandez is on at second base with a double. That concluded a 10-pitch plate appearance, so uh, really good stuff by Cesar Hernandez in that at-bat that resulted in uh, the double. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself 
on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Now the pitch, breaking ball into the ground, through the hole, a base hit into left field. This is going to score a couple. Hernandez up from left trying to throw toward the plate too late and two runs score for the Reds sends L in from third Drury in from second and with two out here in the bottom of the first inning and runners on first and second it's the Reds two of the Nationals nothing the Nats starting pitcher on Saturday was Eric Fetty and Fetty was coming off a woeful outing a uh, Fetty in a 13-5 Nats loss at the New York Mets this past Monday night. Six runs in one and a third innings. He, in that game, gave up eight hits, a homer, a double, and six singles. He issued one walk. He recorded no strikeouts. Gave up a lot of hard contact in that game. Well, Fetty, in this 10-8 win at the Reds on Saturday, struggled again. Uh, Now, he didn't struggle as badly as he struggled this past Monday night, but Fetty was bad for a second consecutive start here. Fetty allowed four runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks. He recorded just one strikeout. He over his four and two-thirds innings threw 86 pitches, 52 strikes versus 34 balls. Fetty in the bottom of the first allowed two runs. Uh, Fetty gave up a leadoff full count single to Nick Senzel up the middle, despite Senzel having been down to the count at 1.02. Fetty issued a six-pitch walk of Brandon Drury. Fetty issued a two-out, five-pitch walk of Tyler Stevenson to load the bases, and Fetty gave up a two-out, bases-loaded, two-run single to Kyle Farmer through the left side of the infield and passed a diving Luis Garcia at shortstop for a 2-0 Reds lead, despite Farmer having been down in the count at 1.02. So note what happened in this inning. You had Fetty giving up two singles, 
And in each case, the batter at one point was down 0-2. Fetty didn't put the guy away, ended up allowing the guy to get a single. And Fetty in the inning issued two walks, including a killer two-out, five-pitch walk of Tyler Stevenson to load the bases. I mean, this bottom of the first inning, in a lot of ways, captures what still aggravates you with Eric Fetty and what still prevents Eric Fetty from taking that next step as a starting pitcher. He has a hard time putting away batters. I mean, Eric Fetty now over his last two starts has totaled one strikeout, okay? And, you know, Fetty had been better over the last two seasons in generating strikeouts, but that seems to have gone bye-bye here uh, over these last few outings. And Fetty, of course, those two walks in that inning, in that bottom of the first, it just, you know, it's like it's hard to pitch well when you're doing something like that, issuing walks like that, especially a two-out walk to load the bases. Now, Fetty did then toss scoreless second, third, and fourth innings. He gave up three singles over the third and fourth innings, but he settled down. You know, the run prevention was there, but he then got charged with two runs in a five-run Reds fifth. Now, in that five-run Reds fifth was Josh Weems, and I'll get to him shortly, but Fetty in this inning put two guys on base via a single. Uh, He gave up a leadoff single to Brandon Drury to left field pass to diving Luis Garcia at shortstop, and Fetty gave up a two-out single to Tyler Stevenson to left field and then was pulled from the game. And, you know, if if you watch the game, Fetty did not seem happy with getting pulled in that spot and seemed to be uh, mean-mugging Davey Martinez as Davey came out to pull Fetty. But, I mean, if you're at Fetty, what are you, what's your argument for saying, all right, Davey, leave me in the game? Like, you know, you're not Max Scherzer in the seventh inning of a big October classic uh, trying to say, hey, let me stay in the game, Skip, because I'm Max and I can give you one more great inning. Like, no, you're Eric Fetty. You're putting guys on base like crazy. You've totaled one strikeout over your last two outings. And so Fetty, to his credit, just kind of took his medicine and went back to the dugout. Uh, here was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Saturday evening on Eric Fetty. He didn't have any command with his cutter, so he went, went more to his uh, two-seamer. But like I said, he he battled. Man, he battled. I mean, he could have could have easily fell apart. And um, you know, but that's we talked about the maturity of Fetty now, right? And he, I mean, he understands. Hey, he's got to continue to go out there, and can, to continue to try to get outs for us, and, and keep us in the game. And he did that today. All right, so Eric Fetty this season now over 11 starts has an ERA of 4.88 and a WHIP of 1.57. Remember, as of nine starts into his season, Fetty's ERA for the season it was 3.55. So the ERA has shot up with what has gone down here over his last two starts. But you know, the WHIP really is what stands out. He puts a lot of guys on base, even when he was pitching well this season in terms of run prevention. Fetty still was putting guys on base, but I think if you're trying to cling to something with Eric Fetty, it would be this. We're just a few starts removed from that terrific outing that he had in that one nothing Nats win over the Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park on May 25th. I mean, May 25th was not that long ago, and Fetty in that game, six scoreless innings, six strikeouts versus one walk against the mighty Dodgers. So he has within him the ability to pitch well. We just have not seen that here now over his last two starts. And then there was the Nats bullpen on Saturday. Uh, Davey Martinez ended up using five relievers in this game. Three of the five did really well. The other two had issues, including Josh Weems. Uh, Josh Weems was a complete disaster in the bottom of the fifth. And as Josh Weems was not pitching well in that inning, there were shots of Fetty in the dugout, and he was he was just staring at Weems because the game seemingly fell right out of the Nats' grasp. 
with what happened with Josh Weems in that bottom of the fifth inning. So Weems entered the game in the bottom of the fifth with runners on first and second, two outs, and the Nats leading 3-2. Weems promptly issued a two-out, seven-pitch walk of Kyle Farmer to load the bases. Weems then issued a two-out, bases-loaded 11-pitch walk of Mike Moustakis to tie the game at three, despite him having been down to the count at one point. Oh, two. So let's hit pause here and just focus on that for a moment, okay? So you're Josh Weems, you come into the game, two guys are on base, you walk the first batter you face, and then with the next batter, you have him down 0-2, you end up walking him to bring in a run that is the tying run, and that plate appearance ended up being an 11-pitch plate appearance. Just, I mean, really bad stuff, right, from a reliever to walk the first two batters he faces and to have the second guy down 0-2, and then you end up going to an 11-pitch saga with the guy, and you end up walking him to bring in the tying run. And then came the big blow. Josh Weems giving up a two-out grand slam to Albert Almora Jr. on a blast to left field for a 7-3 Reds lead. You know, Albert Almora Jr. entered this game on Saturday having hit one home run this season. Now, it's not like he had accumulated hundreds of plate appearances this season, I'll grant you that, but still, Almora had one home run this season coming into this game on Saturday, ends up hitting a grand slam of Josh Weems to put the Reds up 7-3 in the bottom of the fifth inning. And at that point, you felt like, all right, the Nats are not winning this game, right? But three Nats relievers then came in and were excellent, including the secret weapon. The secret weapon was great once again. Paolo Espino, and yes, another low leverage spot because God forbid this guy ever pitches in a close game or in anything close to a big spot, although this ended up proving to be a semi-big spot with the game becoming close again. But Paolo Espino tossed a perfect bottom of the sixth with two strikeouts. But I want you to know this about this latest gem from our guy, the secret weapon, Paolo Espino. And by the way, you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast secret weapon t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. But Paolo Espino, perfect bottom of the six, two strikeouts. He did this in facing the Reds numbers one through three batters, okay? So it's not like he was facing the bottom of the order, okay? And I know, you know, this is not the big red machine of the 1970s here, but he was facing the Reds numbers one through three batters. And yet Paolo Espino, a perfect bottom of the six with two strikeouts. Paolo Espino now this season has an ERA at 210. I mean, I'm not going to give the same spiel that we've given about Paolo Espino needing to pitch in bigger spots, but I'll just say it uh, in a very succinct and mild manner here. Paolo Espino needs to pitch in bigger spots. He wasn't the only <laughs> Nats reliever who pitched well, though, in this game. Carl Edwards Jr., who really has looked good lately, he was good in this game. A perfect bottom of the seventh inning. You know, more and more, Carl Edwards Jr. might be a trade ship for the Nats. Kyle Finnegan was lights out in this game. A perfect bottom of the eighth with three strikeouts. So six, seventh, and eighth innings. Paolo Espino, Carl Edwards, Kyle Finnegan. Perfection. Three up, three down in each inning. And you had over those three innings a total of six strikeouts. Really good stuff from Espino, Edwards, and Finnegan. Nats get the lead. Tanner Rainey comes in in the bottom of the ninth to end the game. And he has some problems here. You know, Rainey did not look great in the win on Friday night, although he did get the save. He did get the job done. He didn't give up any runs. Well, Rainey in this game did give up a run. He gave up a one-out solo homer to Brandon Drury to right center field to cut the Nats' lead to 10-8. And Rainey then gave up a one-out single to Tommy Pham to center field despite Pham 
having been down to the count at one point, one, two, you said, uh-oh. I mean, we saw Rainey blow those two saves earlier this season. You thought we might see something similar here, especially with the nature of this game. This game never felt safe, okay? At no point in this game did you feel great about things as an ads fan, and it turns out you should have never felt great about things as a Reds fan. But Rainey ended up getting the three outs, ultimately got the save, improved to 7-9 to nine on saves this season. But with the bullpen, the takeaway here really is what Espino, Edwards, and Finnegan did over those 6th, 7th, and 8th innings. So we on Saturday had everything that happened in this wild 10-8 win for the Nats at the Reds, and we had what happened for the Nats AAA affiliate, the Rochester Red Wings. Taylor swings and misses the fastball down, struck him out. Cade Cavalli started game one of a doubleheader, and he was very good for a third consecutive start. Cavalli in a 5-1 home win for the Rochester Red Wings over the Buffalo Bisons in game one of a doubleheader on Saturday. One run in seven innings, 10 strikeouts. He gave up just five hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks. He threw 93 pitches, 64 strikes versus 29 balls. So Kate Cavalli now over his last three starts has allowed just two runs in 19 innings with 20 strikeouts. Uh, We call that improvement from what had been happening with Cade Cavalli. Cavalli, over his first seven starts for Rochester this season, had an ERA of 762. It was not that long ago that we had the conversation on this podcast of uh, what's happening with Cade Cavalli and why exactly is his ERA approaching eight, seven starts into his season here for Rochester off. Remember him having struggled for AAA Rochester in his brief time with Rochester last season? Well, three starts since the ERA was at 762. Cade Cavalli has been lights out again. 19 innings, two runs, 20 strikeouts. It certainly would appear that we're getting very close to the Nats calling up Cade Cavalli to the major league level. Now, you never know with certainty what Mike Rizzo is thinking about someone like this. Maybe there are things that Rizzo still doesn't love about what he's seeing from Cade Cavalli, but certainly the results over these last three outings have been really good. And with the state of the Nats right now, and with the Nats having just engineered two pretty significant promotions in the minors, with Cole Henry being promoted from AA Harrisburg to AAA Rochester, and with Jake Irvin being promoted from High A Wilmington to AA Harrisburg, it feels like the Nats, you know, also when you throw into the mix uh, the uh, calling up of Luis Garcia from AAA Rochester. The Nats now maybe are getting more aggressive about pushing guys through the system, getting guys up to the major league level, and seeing what these guys are about and seeing where these guys are at. Now, you're not just going to promote guys to promote guys, right? But if guys are doing well and are proving worthy of being promoted, okay, maybe it's time to put the pedal to the metal, right? Put your foot on the gas here a little bit and try to expedite the process here. Well, Kate Cavalli, really good over his last three starts. And you would think that we're getting quite close to him finally being called up to the major league level. Cade Cavalli is ranked by MLB Pipeline as the number 48 prospect in baseball. The Nats took him with the number 22 pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of the University of Oklahoma. This season is his age 23 season. And when he does make his major league debut, and he pretty clearly is going to make it this season and probably within the next month, I would guess, you know, but again, we don't know anything for sure. But when he does make his major league debut, that's going to be a huge deal. It's going to be a really big deal. It's going to be exciting. And if he pitches well for the Nats this season at the major league level, boy, you cannot overstate how big that is for a Nats organization 
that has not drafted and developed a true quality starting pitcher in a really long time. Truth be told, that really hasn't happened since Steven Strasburg, okay? I mean, if you're being just flat out honest about things, the last starting pitcher who the Nats drafted, developed, and then reaped the benefits of at the major league level was Steven Strasburg, okay? Steven Strasburg was the number one pick in the 2009 MLB draft. Like I said, Kate Cavalli was the Nats' first round pick in 2020. It has been a while since the Nats drafted, developed, and reaped the benefits of a true quality starting pitcher at the major league level. Now, speaking of Steven Strasburg and speaking of being close to pitching in the majors, so Steven Strasburg certainly appears to be close to making his season debut for the Nats at the major league level off his season ending surgery to address thoracic outlet syndrome last July 28th. We learned prior to Saturday's win at the Reds that Steven Strasburg has a locker at Great American Ballpark and was on his way to the ballpark. Now, nothing is official, but it is looking like there's a really good chance here that his minor league rehab assignment is done. Now, you got to see that he continues to feel well but he certainly did well on Friday night in his third minor league rehab assignment start. Strasburg on Friday night in a 2-1 home win for the AAA Rochester Red Wings over the Buffalo Bisons. Six scoreless innings, four strikeouts versus one walk and one hit. He over 83 pitches through 50 strikes versus 33 balls. Uh, this was his third start of his minor league rehab assignment. His second straight really good start. Uh, Strasburg last Sunday afternoon, a 7-4 home win for the Loe Fredericksburg Nationals over the Salem Red Sox. Five scoreless innings, six strikeouts versus one walk, and no hits. So we'll see here, but it certainly feels like Strasburg is going to finally pitch for the Nats at the major league level this season sometime within the next week. Again, with that caveat of he continues to feel well. He doesn't wake up one morning and all of a sudden his shoulder hurts or his neck hurts or anything like that. So that'll be exciting. I mean, you know, I've said it. It's hard to be really optimistic, really bullish about Strasburg with his injury history and with this very serious ailment that he's coming back from, thoracic outlet syndrome. But that doesn't mean that he isn't Steven Strasburg. Like, no, he is still Steven Strasburg. And even the potential for him to get back to being the Steven Strasburg who we knew, or even a close enough approximation of that person, that is a carrot worth pursuing, okay? Because if you can somehow get that guy back or a close approximation of that guy, that really does change the conversation for the Nationals with their rebuild. Game four for the Nats at the Reds is on Sunday afternoon at 1.40. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Uh, speaking of people trying to get back to what they once were. Well, you tell us what you think. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us natschatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, email Tim Shovers. Again, that email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself or someone you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.com. Dot square dot side. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't done that yet. You also can write a review of this podcast if you're using Apple Podcasts. You don't have to write anything substantial, just like, you know, one or two sentences saying uh, that you like the podcast, saying what you like about the podcast. Uh, the ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful, and we very much appreciate you guys for doing the ratings and the reviews. Uh, Nats Chat is on the radio on Sunday morning, uh, Sunday mornings at 9 on 106.1 ESPN in Richmond. You can listen online 
at ESPNRichmond.com and Sunday mornings at 9 on Sports Radio 96.5 FM at 8.50 AM in the Hampton Roads area. You can listen online at Sports Radio 96.5 FM.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Mark will be back with me on the next installment of the Nats Chat podcast. Until then, I'm Al Galdi. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. Randy Johnson pitches six great innings and wins number 300.